Praise the Lord. Amen. Yes, let's join thanking the worship team, Stephanic Banks. Thank you so much for leading us into the presence of the Lord this morning. Amen. What a great blessing and privilege it is to be together, don't you think? In a beautiful place like this one, to worship the Lord, to hear his word, and to think together on God's things. I come to you this morning with a great sense of urgency in my heart, and I will convey it as best as I can for God's glory and our blessing. I have a dear friend of mine who used to live in Michigan. She lives now in Virginia. And when I first met her, her name is Donna Holcomb, she would always say to me, you know, Jerson, life's too short not to have honest conversations. I'd never heard that until I met Donna Holcomb, and she said this to me. Life's too short not to have honest conversations. So I want to begin this conversation with you this morning. We've been speaking about friendship. Christ, our greatest friend. And we focus on this beautiful scripture, there is no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. Here's Jesus speaking to his loved ones, his disciples, literally just hours from his impending death and torture. And he's thinking of friendship with them and calling them, you're my friends. And I'm laying down my life for you. I believe that every moment of Jesus' life was a moment where he lived it out with excellence and with urgency. I don't think there was a wasted minute, a wasted second of Christ's life. It was urgent, urgent, urgent. For he was always about the Father's business, yes? Remember that passage of scripture when he's lost? He's not really lost. His parents misplace him, right? Can you imagine that, by the way? I lost the son of God, Joseph says to Mary. I lost it. Well, what do you do? And they show up days after, and he's having a conversation, and they urgently say, where have you been? How could you do this to us? And Jesus looks at him and says, what do you mean? I'm doing my father's business. Urgency, urgency, urgency. So I want to share with you this morning as we enter this conversation from last week about friendship with Jesus, urgency in my heart for you to share with you something that I don't think we always share during Golden Eagle days. How many of you attended Golden Eagle Day here? Yes. That's great. I'm so glad you're here. We always talk about those admission days and we present to students and to prospects the great things about Cornerstone, yes? Some of you may have heard me, may have heard others speak, and we talk with you about all the wonderful benefits, blessings, great things we're doing here at Cornerstone right now that we want to share with you and we want you to participate and join. But one of the things we don't always share that's very, very real that I want to speak with you about this morning, students, faculty, and staff, are the dangers of coming to a Christian university. I've been a part of Christian higher ed for almost 30 years now as a student, as a tenured faculty member, as a department chair, as a dean, as an executive vice president, and now as a president of Christian universities. So I've been sort of from cradle to grave. I started as a transfer student, and then worked my way through as faculty, tenured, all those things, to now this role now. So I've seen about 25, 30 years of Christian higher ed. And one of the things we don't always speak about are the dangers that you, students, faculty, staff, engage in or could, could be touched by at a Christian university. 
Imagine that admission presentation, Heidi. When parents come, we want to talk to you first about the dangers of a place like Cornerstone. No one would show up, right? But there are dangers at a Christian university, and as we speak about the friendship of Jesus, the urgency with which he presents himself to us every day. We just sing these wonderful songs, amen? This urgency of Jesus for our souls, for our hearts, the urgency that drove him to the cross, yes? We need to talk about the dangers of being at a place like this, the dangers that will keep us away from his urgency. And I want to list four of them out and then talk about a short, a small video and then get into our conversation. But I think one of the first dangers we face is that we can become really indifferent about Jesus at a place like Cornerstone. Indifferent. Because maybe we're here and we're not really here about, for Jesus or about Jesus. We're just here because of, we can list whatever reason it is. Some of them may be very valid reasons, important reasons. But Jesus is not central to our thinking. We're indifferent. And yet we participate in the day-to-day -day life of a Christian school like this one. And yet we're completely indifferent. Dangerous? I'll be very sure, open and transparent with you. I've been a part of major Christian universities, and I've seen students and faculty and staff crash and burn. Terrifying, I will tell you. I will share this with you. I don't want this for any of you. Our faculty don't want this for any of you students. We don't want this for each other. We want to flourish in Jesus. But the danger of indifference is a significant one. Because we can live here in and out and participate in all the wonderful things that happen in this place, and yet our heart is indifferent toward Jesus Christ himself, the maker of the universe. A very dangerous thing. Because... The storms of life will come, the successes of life will come, and without Jesus and being indifferent to them, those things will overtake us. Do you believe that this morning? If you don't, I want to encourage you to read Matthew 5, 6, and 7, the Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus closes the Sermon on the Mount with a picture, with a story of a man that builds a house on rock and one not, yes? And what happens? One crashes and burns. Indifference. Students, I would urge you, don't be indifferent toward Jesus. Don't be indifferent toward Jesus. It can happen at a Christian place just like this one. The second one, insurmountable. Some of us in this room are dealing with things that seem insurmountable. And they seem so insurmountable, even here at Cornerstone, that they block the light, or they seem to block the light and the love and the urgency of Jesus. Some of you have faced sexual abuse, child abuse, trauma of all different kinds, and you're dealing with it right now. Some of you have that in your family right now, in your sons or daughters. And sometimes it seems insurmountable. How can I even sing about Waymaker when this thing is so huge that I don't know how to get out of it? Some of us in this room are in significant kinds of addiction and no one knows about it. And it seems insurmountable. And do you know that nothing is impossible for Jesus? I just want to encourage you this morning. That's where you are. 
Jesus knows. Remember last week we talked about he knows us? Yes? He knows us. He is there. I shared with my colleagues that for the last two weeks, for the last two weeks, I've been trying to help a dear friend of mine who has been a meth addict for eight years. This man was at the pinnacle of his profession, C-level suite in a multi-billion dollar organization. If I were to share with you, you would all know it. You've heard of it. At the pinnacle of his career, married to a model, beautiful family. Nine years ago, he started taking meth. He's lived in the streets. Think about that. I know this man personally. Haven't heard from him for years. Called me two weeks ago, right in the middle of my board of trustees meeting. <laughs> I need to talk to you. I need your help. Can you please buy me a plane ticket to get the detox? Just two days later, he called me, and he left detox and was in a hotel doing meth again. Can you stay on the phone with me tonight? I'm not making any of this up, by the way. I can show you the texts. Can you stay with me tonight on the phone and help me, please? I'm scared. I'm thousands of miles away. <laughs> I said, you know what? God is with you there. Turn to him. Another text the following day. I don't think I can break this. Yes, you can with the Lord. It's going to take hard work. Do you know that some, I know some of you, some of us in this room deal with those things in lives of families, in lives, in our own lives, and it seems insurmountable, but I want to share with you that with Christ, all things are possible. And that Jesus is our greatest friend, is not just a slide, is not just a faraway thing. He truly is with us and can help us break through those things and see victory in him. Do you believe that this morning? Do we believe that this morning? I want to encourage you, believe that and act on it. Because sometimes things seem insurmountable, Yes? They really do. Insurmountable. Nothing's insurmountable for Jesus. And yet it's possible that we are here every day in and out in chapel singing, and yet we have these massive things that seem like they're overwhelming. Jesus has conquered them all. Here's the, the, the third danger. Christianity can seem banal. Banal simply means ordinary, trite, and boring. Some of us have grown up in the church our entire life, yes? We've heard it all, so we think. We've read it all, we've heard it all. And all of a sudden, Christianity seems boring and trite. It's not exciting anymore, it's not engaging anymore. We're kind of like done with it, we go through it. It doesn't engage us, it doesn't move us. This is why what we do in this chapel is so important, that we the worship team, those who speak the word, wherever we do, that we don't ever present a banal version of Christianity, but a spirit-filled one, amen, that moves and shakes and transforms. God forbid we would ever present an ordinary Christianity at Cornerstone. And yet it's possible that even when we don't do that, that we could read it and see it and feel it this way, and it's just boring to us. Nah. Nah. Just another thing. And yet we'll go through all the entire time at Cornerstone and all of our time in church 
And Christianity and Jesus has never made a transformative impact because we see it as ordinary, not life-jarring, not life-changing, not life-altering. And then the friendship of Jesus, we lose the opportunity for him to transform us. May they never be. That can happen here. I've seen it happen in other Christian universities of which we're in a part. The banality of it, when people just see it as just an ordinary, tried, boring thing that we just do, and we're tired of it, but we just do it because we have to do it or we are going to get demerits or punishment, whatever that is. I long for the day, full disclosure, that we can eliminate the chapel requirement at Cornerstone and that people will just want to come. Because the Lord is here. That would be an amazing thing, don't you think? To fill up this place because we just want to worship and we want to see him and want to experience him here without having to be required to do it. May God remove this from us. I'm urging for you, each of you faculty, that this does not penetrate our thinking. It's possible to at a Christian university because we get so used to it. I'll tell you the fourth, the one is osmosis. We think we can become followers of Jesus by osmosis. Some of you know what that is, right? We don't do anything. Somehow it just infiltrates us. If you're in the sciences, you know that, right? I mean, you sit there and it just kind of like enters us through our membranes. That's not how it works, by the way. But it's possible to feel that way because, look, you walk around Cornerstone, we've got banners everywhere. Yes? Huge banners. Beautiful banners. We've got a chapel with inscriptions and scripture and we sing all this stuff and, we, and maybe we don't participate ourselves in the friendship of Jesus. We expect it somehow through us, Moses will come to us and we leave this place kind of like feeling it but not being it. And you know what happens? I can give you example after example of young men and women from schools like this one, I'm not going to name the schools, who are in prison today. Child pornography, murder, drugs. It's real. I can name faculty who've been, who are there. How did that happen to us? How does it happen to us? It can happen to any of us, by the way, don't you think? We're not exempt from this. And if we believe Jesus is indifferent or we're indifferent to him, my brothers and sisters, or we think life is insurmountable and we can't over, God can help us overcome these things we deal with and they're beyond our ability to overcome, or it's, we're, it's banal, it's boring to us and we don't really engage, or we, we're, we do the thing, you know, we follow the, the rhythms, but we really don't engage and allow the Lord to engage us. It's a recipe for disaster and it's a dangerous road we're on. I want to urge you, Please engage and embrace the friendship of Jesus. The very first words, students, that Jesus speaks on earth, recorded in the Gospel of Matthew, in the Gospel of Mark, the very first words, what are they? Does anyone know? Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That's an urgent message, don't you think? Don't you think? Turn. Turn, danger ahead, turn. The kingdom of heaven's hand, that's the urgency. 
So I want to encourage you and, and, and urge you to engage and embrace Jesus and not let a day go by, an hour go by, a minute go by, that you or I, we don't do this. As a part of this, I want to share a video with you. I saw this video a couple, two, three weeks ago at our church, our pastor presented, and I thought it was jarring and it was moving. And the man who's going to speak now is a pastor of one of the largest churches in Hawaii, a weekly attendance of almost 12,000 people. And he goes to China to serve on mission trips, and he speaks about the church and believers in China. And I want you to hear and see the urgency with which they undertake their faith. It's a lesson for me, it's a lesson for all of us. John, would you please share the video? Thank you. Let me finish with this uh, story. We go to China from time to time, and, and uh, uh, we train leaders. And this time, we brought up 22 leaders from the Hunan province, and they rode 13 hours on a train to get to a hotel that they came up two by two in these elevators as, so as to not draw any attention. And then they got to a hotel room, a little apartment room. It's only about 700 square feet in the little living room, no air conditioning, hardwood floor, 22 sat there. I came in, and when you teach in China, you start at 8 in the morning, and you don't get done till 5 at night. You teach the whole day. They were sitting there, all 22 of them, and I looked around and I said, now, if we get caught, what will happen to me? They said, oh, you'll get deported in 24 hours and we'll go to prison for three years. I said, you're kidding. How many of you have been in prison for your faith? Out of 22, 18 raised their hands. I thought, no way. I looked at him and I said, you, you 22 people, how many people do you oversee? Because they were all of these small group leaders, underground church leaders in the Hunan province. I said, how many, if you counted up all the people under your jurisdiction, how many would it be? And they counted them up and they said, a little over 20 million. I said, what? See, we forget there's 1.3 billion people in China. This is crazy. Well, I had 15 Bibles, and I passed them out. Obviously, seven didn't get them. And I said, let's turn to 2 Peter chapter 1, and we're going to read it. And just then, one lady handed hers to somebody next to her. And I thought, hmm, interesting. Well, we turned there anyway, and as we started reading it, I understood why she gave it away. She had memorized the whole thing. She just recited the whole chapter. When it was done, I went over to her at a break, and I said, you, you, you recited the whole chapter. She says, oh, yes, I've memorized many chapters. I said, where did you memorize many chapters? She said, in prison. She said, you have much time in prison. So I said, but don't they confiscate the Bible? She said, yes. So people bring in scriptures written on pieces of paper, and they bring it in. So I said, but then if they find that piece of paper on you, won't they confiscate that? She said, oh, yes, that's why you memorize it as fast as you can. Because <laughs> even though they can take the paper away, they can't take what's hidden in your heart. I thought, wow. Well, after three days, you fall in love with these people. And when it was done, I said, how can I pray for you? I'm going to go back to America. You guys have been just so wonderful. How can I pray for you? They said, you know, Wayne, you guys can gather like this whenever you want to in America. We can't. Could you pray that one day we'll be just like you? And I looked at him and I said, I will not do that. Big incredulous eyes looked at me and they said, why? <laughs> I said, because 
you guys rode a train for 13 hours to get here. In my country, if you've got to drive more than an hour, people don't come. You sat on a wooden floor for three days. In my country, if people have to sit more than 40 minutes, they leave. You sat not only here for three days on a hard wooden floor, but you did it without air conditioning. In my country, if it's not padded pews and air conditioning, people don't often come back. In my country, we have an average of two Bibles per family. We don't read any of them. You hardly have any Bibles, and you memorize them from pieces of paper. I will not pray that we become like, uh, you become like us, but I will pray that we become just like you. Powerful, yes? I've confessed to you when I heard that in chap, I mean, in, Sunday, in uh, our Sunday worship service, boy, it was sobering. It was sobering. I probably have 25 Bibles in my house. It's convicting. So I want to share with you the urgency of the moment. The urgency of the moment. Students, faculty, said, we are so blessed to be in this place, are we not? I mean, we are deeply and deeply and richly blessed. God in his goodness and graciousness. What a beautiful place to be in. I want to urge you, engage Jesus. Engage Jesus. We've spoken for quite some time on these issues of a crisis of loneliness, the friendship recession, the paradox of loneliness, more connected through social media than ever and yet more alone than ever, less friends than ever, and perhaps more distant from everybody than ever before. And we spoke about the demands of friendship last week. We started this conversation on what are the demands of friendship. Being true friends to one another demands certain things from us. Real friendship demands certain things. And we spoke about three things. I spent a lot of time on the first one, knowing another and being known. Jesus knows us all, amen? Deeply. And he desires that we know him. And then I thought we can do these two today. We're not going to be able to do them. I'll do at least one. Doing good for another and only receiving good from another and actively sacrificing on behalf of others and receiving their active sacrifices for us. This is a criteria for real friendship. And I want to focus on how the Lord, God himself, Jesus, fulfills these for us. We spoke about a number of scripture about knowing another and being known. And today I want to focus on this one. Doing good for another and only receiving good from another. I want to, I want to portray or share with you a lot of scripture, lots of scriptures, about how God is good and only does good. I know there's evil in the world. It's hard to look th read the news now, don't you think? I make myself do it every day to stay informed. I will tell you, it's hard to, because everything you read is dark and evil and scary. Don't you think? We live in a vacuum. There was a mass shooting in Vermont. Terrifying, yes? They find another shooter in Montana hiding, or in Colorado. You see what's happening in Israel. 
You can go throughout the world and see the evil throughout and darkness and sin and brokenness. And yet I want to proclaim to you and with you together that God is good. And I want to go through a number of scriptures because he is a true friend and he fulfills this demand of friendship that he always does good for us. So I'm just going to read a number of scriptures. Exodus 34, when the Lord appears to Moses, the Lord declares himself the following way, the Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abundant in goodness and truth. I, I know that we've been, some of you have endured very difficult things in your life. And it's tempting for us to have endured those things and to say, how can God be good? How can he be good and let this happen to me or to somebody else? It's a long conversation we can have. But I want to proclaim to you all the verses in Scripture that declare God's goodness. He himself says he is good. Or we're told in Chronicles, so give thanks to the Lord for he is good for his mercy endures forever. In Psalm 145, the Lord is good to all and his tender mercies are over all his works. In Psalm 23, in a moment of desperation, a moment of almost losing faith, David proclaims, I would have lost heart unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Even in my most dark time, God is good, and he's there. Psalm 107, all oh, that men would give thanks to the Lord for his goodness. I would encourage you to read Psalm 107. In Psalm 107, the Lord portrays four different kinds of people who have turned away from the Lord, at least two of them have, in rebellion and sin. And each time, guess what? The Lord rescues them. The scripture says, then they cried unto the Lord, and he heard them, and he delivered them from all their distresses. Why? Because he's good. Psalm 25, good and upright is the Lord. Perhaps a great declaration, Psalm 103, faculty, staff, and students, that we need to remind ourselves every day, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name, bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all of our iniquity, heals all of our diseases, redeems our life from the pit, crowns us with steadfast love and mercy, satisfies us with good so that our youth is renewed like the eagles. Can we praise the Lord? Amen? He saves us, delivers us, heals us, rescues us, renews us. He is good. He is good. He is good. And we can't ever lose faith in that. And we can't ever stop acting on that because he's always good. What does the scripture say about what God expects from us in return? Does he expect to receive good from us? What do you think? He does. I've got three scriptures. In, both, in Psalm 51, this is a great psalm that David writes after he has done something terrible, yes? He has, in essence, raped Bathsheba and murdered her husband. And now the Lord has confronted him and said, you are going to be judged for the, your sin. But I'm going to have mercy on you, but you have to do, the consequences are coming your way. 
David writes Psalm 51 and says this, for you do not desire sacrifice. You're not asking me to go sacrifice a bunch of animals or else I would do it. You don't delight in burnt offerings or else I would do it. Here's what you want from me, Lord. What? A broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart you will not despise. I want to encourage you and urge your students and faculty and said that that is the good that God expects from us toward him. That we present ourselves daily with a broken, humbled, contrite heart and pursue him. He doesn't expect us to do anything else but that. That's how it all begins, real friendship with God. We start with a humble and broken heart. You see in Romans 12, 1, I urge you, by the way, the word beseech literally means I urge you. Paul literally saying, that's really what it means in the Greek. I urge you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, present your bodies a what? A living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. That's David, right? Those are David's words. And Paul reminds us, that's the gift of friendship you can give to God. Your entire self. Your entire self. As we close, and I want to ask the worship band to come again as we sing the benediction song, I want to urge you, spend time today with the Lord. Remind yourself of his goodness, of his mercy, of his kindness, and let's all commit to giving our life and our hearts to him. Amen? Thank you.